Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Did, 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 did somebody say John Piper? <laughs> did you say John Piper, you son of a bitch? And now puppies are just getting mutilated. Oh my God! <laughs> Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is not church with John and Nat Turney. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the podcast, the This Is Not Church podcast. This is John Turney, half of your host, half of your host, half of your hosting crew. Let's go with that. My brother, Nat, is running a little late, so we have a moment where we can kind of make fun of him, and he can't defend himself. So I'm trying to think of something to tell you guys all about him, but uh, I got a good one. Here's, here's a good one. Let's start off with this real quick. My brother started going bald. And when he was a teenager, and I thought it would be really, really funny to get all the like the hair club for men and all those different brochures and make sure they all got mailed to him because I thought that would be funny. And uh, that, what I didn't understand back then that I you know, a little under, I understand a little bit better now is that telemarketers will follow you no matter where you go. And so, like twenty years later, my brother's like, "Yeah, it was funny for like a year." But twenty years later, I'm still getting that stuff in the mail no matter where I've moved. It's not funny anymore. So that, there's there's a little tidbit for you about Nat. I'm sure he'll love to hear that one. Uh, but we are so honored to have with us today a good friend of ours, Todd Vick. And I'm going to read you his bio, and then we're just going to jump right into some conversation. Todd is a husband, father, grandfather, best-selling author, award-winning writer, podcaster, and conference speaker. His first book, The Renewing of Your Mind, debuted as number one new release and number one bestseller on Amazon. His next book, The Reconstruction of Your Mind, is is available now. His podcast, The Reconstruction Rebel, is available wherever you stream your podcast. For 30 years, Todd was a pastor in the Southern Baptist denomination. He left local church ministry in 2016 after a nervous breakdown fueled by severe anxiety, depression, addiction, and a crisis of, of belief which led to intense spiritual deconstruction for three years. During this time, he became fascinated with the role of the human brain in creating a belief system. So uh, welcome, Todd, to the podcast. Uh, How are you today? Doing well. So glad to be here, finally. We've been trying to do this for a while now, and my fault that we haven't been able to, but uh, just very glad that we can finally sit down and do this. I haven't done any podcasting lately since since you guys started. (laughs) Well, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping busy, right? And hopefully you're, you're keeping busy doing other things as well. So like I said, Nat, Nat is, uh, Nat's running a little late. He'll be here in a few minutes. And so at some point you guys will just hear Nat jump in. But, uh, you know, I, I think a really good place to start, you know, talking about how you're a former pastor. Let's just start with your faith background and uh, just give us a little bit of that so we can uh, have a, so our listeners just have a basis to understand who you are and where you've come from. Well, I am originally from Wisconsin, so if I talk funny, that's why. Um, but I've lived in South Carolina most of my life, <laughs> married here, educated here, all that, had children here. But um, around 16 years old, I started to get involved in church. Uh, a friend of mine um, invited me and came and picked me up. I didn't really have an excuse. So we went, and, and uh, I just became very fascinated with having a personal relationship with God. So that's kind of where I started. Um, just trying to work that out. And then legalism creeped in and I spent the better part of my pastorate trying to be um, anybody but myself. And it it just didn't go well. But um, my last church, I was not in good shape anyway, mentally. um, And it just all came crashing down um, May of 2016. And, uh, I've never been happier than I am right now, but it was a process of, I don't, I didn't even know if I believed in God anymore. Uh, I didn't know if I believed in Jesus. I didn't know if I believed anything anymore. And so I did some soul searching and then searched 
other religions and made made friends with a uh, with a Hindu Swami, um, and I, I asked if I could become a Hindu and if he would train me or whatever. And he said, "No, Christianity is where you belong." Um, so I thought that was pretty weird. It's not going to help his evangelism numbers doing that. But um, <laughs> he was uh, he was really kind, and, and uh, I learned a lot just by talking to him. Since since the deconstruction started, I've written two books. Uh, have a blog on Pathos. I haven't done much with that lately. I don't know. Do you ever get writer's block? I've been having kind of a block lately. Oh yeah. But oh, yeah. Uh, I recently uh, started going back to school, trying to finish my master's degree. And uh, that's been keeping me busy lately. So, uh, with when when you talk about your deconstruction or your uh, crisis of faith or whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it, um, what was the what was the starting point of that for you? Where did that? What was the first linchpin that you kind of that kind of fell away that started you down that rabbit hole? Basically, local church ministry. I had such a high belief that God could do anything. That's how I have always approached God, God, you can do anything. You can even jumpstart this, you know, this dying church. Uh, he didn't. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And the people got meaner and meaner and meaner. Uh, and it's like, I, my heart just wasn't in it anymore. It's like, I can't do this anymore. I just, I'm not helping these people at all. And they're not good for me. We're, we, you know, we were all kind of toxic together, but left on fairly good terms and just kind of started pursuing uh, secular work and focus them on, on listening to webinars and things like that, just trying to learn as much as I could. Um, yeah. And that's kind of where it all started with the deconstruction, just kind of tearing it all down first. And then I looked at Hindu, I looked at uh, all kinds of different things. Um, but yeah, I couldn't get rid of Jesus. I had to come back and, and, you know, do that. So he's all I got left from all of that. <laughs> So at what point in the process did you decide that you wanted to write the book, the first, the first of the two books? It's, it started while I was still pastoring. I started doing a Bible study on Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, and decided um, that it, to make it more interesting, I would look up some of the science behind the brain stuff and how the mind works and bring that to the Wednesday night group. They weren't really interested um, in any of that material, but I, I became fascinated with it. And so I... Uh, wrote the renewing of your mind, just kind of based on the whole journey to, to get through that. Um, and it, that's the first chapter of the book, Bible study gone awry is, is how it started. But, but yeah, I just, I'm glad it turned out well and people have seemed to enjoy it. Within that, I mean, the renewing of your mind. So uh, can you just give us like a, it's just for our listeners, can you give like just kind of a brief overview of what, what you were trying to get to in, in that thought process of that book? Because it does kind of, it does look at deconstruction from a, like a little bit different way um, than some people or maybe you're used to. Um, so could you just give us like a, like a thousand foot view of the book? Uh, I don't want you to give away too much. Cause I want people to buy the book, but just so they just, so we understand where the book was coming from. It began um, just telling my story a little bit. And the, the, the impetus for the book was I just really thought it might help somebody. And the way it was working for me was, you know, for years and years, I would counsel people as a pastor and I would just say, pray more, read your Bible more, go to revival, attend more services. Uh, and, and none of that crap worked. And it wasn't working for me either. And so I came up with the questions, you know, asking modern questions to all these ancient answers and just to see if we could find any information that would actually help people today grow in their Christian faith and feel better about where they're at and feel better about God's love for them and his grace towards them. Because most people have a really hard time in their spiritual life. Uh, and I was one of those people for a long time. You know, no matter what you did, God was pissed off at you and just waiting for you to mess up again so he could strike you down. And so many people feel that way. And their, their faith is all about asking God for miracles when the time comes and then the miracle doesn't happen. And they're scratching their head. I, I thought God loved me. I thought that, you know, I thought this was supposed to be a good thing. Uh, it's turned out to be a terrible thing. But so the, the renewing of your mind is like, let's, let's change our mindset about this and, and find some new information. Uh, we looked in science. We looked in the Bible and some personal anecdotes, and, uh, kind of put it all together. And that, that became the book. So um, like you say in your bio, you know, at, at the point where you were your deconstruction started and you were leaving the church, you say it was fueled by a nervous breakdown, which was fueled by 
uh, severe anxiety, depression, and, and, and addiction. So was this something you were battling while, while you were still a, a pastor? I was. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was until I got to that, that point. Um, oddly enough, I was watching, um, what's the name of that movie? I can't remember the name of the movie. It's one of the Kendrick Brothers movie about football. But I was watching that and towards the end, something just, something was said and it just, I, I was, next thing I know, I was on the floor crying, uh, weeping and, and just, I, I couldn't stop. And so I went to the hospital and, and got checked out and got some new medication and some sleep started to get a little better, but, um, it, yeah, it was kind of like the breaking point for me. And I was in the hospital for three days. And on, on the third day when I came home, which was a Sunday, um, got a call from a deacon and he was calling to check on me. And I thought, well, this is really nice. Uh, and then halfway through the conversation, he says, now I want to tell you that we're not pleased that you weren't at service today. I was like, dude, I was in the hospital. Wow. You knew I was going to be in the hospital. I mean, but anyway, that was just kind of the that was the end for me. It's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't please anybody. I can't even please myself, take care of myself right now. Uh, I'm no good as a pastor to these people. So I uh, decided to leave. And it was a mutual decision. And I'm glad, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I left because um, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm happier today than I've been in a long, long, long time. Um, and the depression is, I don't hardly notice it anymore. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been really good to get out from under that burden of trying to be so dang perfect all the time uh, for your congregation and put on the church mask and, and the, the, you know, the church voice, the pastor voice. And it, you just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't be, I had to be real. I couldn't be, I had to be myself. I couldn't be that guy anymore. So was that an abrupt exit for you or was it a, a slow process of you leaving the church or was it like one Sunday you were there and the next Sunday you were gone? I stayed there about three more weeks. And then we all decided it was it was time for me to go. We were having a uh, church council meeting and somebody said, I don't like the way that we're reaching people. And I said, well, how do you think we should be reaching people? And they said, well, that's your job. Like, eh, <laughs> not really, but OK. Well, I mean, Nat, Nat can understand this, I think, as well. Um, so we, uh, you know, what I, you know, I, I walked away from the church a long time ago for the first time, walked away from a church a few years ago for the second time. And I think we have, we all can relate to this, this idea that the church just doesn't, just, there is no room in the church, right? For anything outside the norm. We don't want to, we don't want to be spe- specifically when it comes to people in uh, positions of power that they can't, they can't be the ones that have a, a mental illness. They can't be the ones that have addictions. They can't be the ones that have any kind of, infidelity issues, right? Because, and if they do, you know, God forbid we actually speak about them. So I, you know, I, I applaud you for, you know, being willing to talk about that and openly and say, you know, Hey, these are, these are the issues I was dealing with. These are the issues that as a pastor I was dealing with. And I, I finally came to the realization that uh, it was better for me and the church to step away. What kind of, what kind of response did you get from the congregation or from, I don't know if you had like, like a, like a board or elders or anything like that. No one begged me to stay. They uh, they showed me the door and that was the end of it. Right. <laughs> That's usually a pretty good indication that things have gone awry. When I left uh, when I left the church I was serving at before to uh, plant the church that I I did a couple of years ago. Now there wasn't a whole lot of hand wringing either. <laughs> it, was, it was like oh yeah bummer you know it, you know publicly there was a lot of, oh man, we're, you know, we're supportive and we're starting to see you go, but I, I could sense, and they may deny this to this day, but I, I could sense a palpable sense of relief. Like, ah, oh, it's probably for the best. You know what I mean? So I get what you're coming from. Uh, I, what, what I find really interesting, John, maybe you notice this too, but how many conversations now have we had with pastors? And I'm thinking specifically of people like Brian Zond now, uh, Paul Bergman has mentioned this, um, who, who are at, at PK Langley said the same thing uh, that they were deconstructing um, while leading a church. And I'll add my name to that list as well. I wasn't the lead pastor of the church, but I was definitely, you know, one of the most visible people in the church and I am actively deconstructing everything. And uh, it created a whole new set of, Oh, Jeff Turner said the same thing, didn't he? 
Hell, Jeff Turner told us he he's a full blown atheist. The last however long he was he was leading that church, he's like, I was the biggest challenge for him was not to go to church every Sunday and lie, because <laughs> he's like, I don't believe any of this shit anymore. And uh, now, mind you, he's come full circle, and you know, he's he's that's why that that book, the atheistic theist, is is born out of all of that experience. But did you find that particularly? I mean, was that process ongoing for quite a while before this abrupt ending? You know what I mean? It's kind of one of those things like, yeah, the ending was abrupt, but it would, had been perhaps stewing for a while. Yeah, it was uh, quite a few quite a few weeks um, towards the end that I could really tell that there's this weird thing about preachers. You, the, it's like God just kind of takes the church out of your heart uh, and you just don't care anymore. Yeah. You don't feel what you felt before and you just know it's over. And I tried to keep it going a little bit longer than I probably should have, but it all it all worked out in the end, and we we parted parted well. I think some of the people still won't speak to me, but a bunch will, you know, still. And it wasn't all bad. That's good. That's I mean, that's always a challenge, you know. When if if you're if you were like me, and so much of my life was wrapped up in what went on there, that losing that, um, even though it was my choice, to, eh, it was equal parts my choice and you know, external factors, but uh, there's still a grieving process that goes on. You know what I mean? There's still, there's still a loss there that says, you know, okay, this is what I used to do. And now I don't do that anymore. And I'm doing this new thing. And, um, there were relationships for me that suffered. There were some that were, you know, fractured completely in that process. But like you say, I mean, for the best, I wouldn't go back that, that for me, that's the litmus test, isn't it? I mean, I go, I go, I look back on the place. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the Israelites wandering the desert and pining for, you know, for Egypt, because I don't pine for Egypt. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I am right now as well, even though some of that process to get here was painful. Right. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's the, there is something, you know, as you're wandering in the desert, right. um, That, that metaphor of, of wandering in the desert. And there's a point where part of you, can make an argument that at least there I knew it's the devil you know against the devil you don't know kind of thing. I think we all, as we as we leave whatever we're doing, leaving a church leadership role, leaving a church in general, I think there is that point where we like, yeah, but there was a there was a semblance of security there, even though even though maybe it wasn't the it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a healthy security. And I think we've all, I think we all have very similar stories in that the churches that we left, at least most recently, we, I think we all left on, uh, sounds like we all left on fairly decent terms. Uh, you know, I, I, I still have a very good uh, relationship with the former pastor where I was associate pastor under, but he and I understand that we would probably, would never be able to work together in a, in a pastoral role again. Right. But at least we, we had the, I guess we were adult enough to come to a conclusion that maybe it was better for both of us if we, if we parted ways in that situation. Do you feel that that is to a, to some degree true with you? Or do you feel like maybe you don't have that connection with the, your former congregation and former, like maybe other leaders, leaders in the role? Yeah, it was, it was definitely for the best uh, that I left, but it's kind of like when you go through a divorce, you automatically blame the spouse and, you know, I'm going to go to court and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. But then you start to realize, you know what? I think I contributed to the downfall of my marriage more than I realized. If you get honest with yourself and I got honest with myself and realized, you know, I was really kind of a toxic preacher anyway, because I just the heart wasn't there anymore. It was just all come from the head. And that could be dangerous for people like me. But um, finding out that, you know, I'm not perfect was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And finding out that I didn't have to be perfect was like a moment. It's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to be perfect anymore. I can just be Todd, and that's perfectly good enough for the Lord. He's, he's, he's perfectly okay with that. And for the longest time, I just believed that he wasn't okay with that because I had so many flaws and so many shortcomings. And I would always go over the 12 o'clock limit by at least four minutes, and you just can't have that in church. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you're getting pretty close to, 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 to lunch time at that point and people begin to, you know, get a little antsy. But so, uh, so, so if, let me ask you this question. So as you're, as you're doing this and you're reconstructing or deconstructing, you're going to that. What I've, I've actually started just referring to 
as, as an evolutionary process. I don't think it ever ends, you know? Right. Yeah, um, I agree. But, but, but what were some of, who were some of the people that you were reading that were maybe catalyzing some of this change for you? You were like, oh man, I mean, I know like for me, um, reading Brian Zahn's book, Farewell to Mars was like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. well, okay, here we go. Things are about to shift. But were there some, some, uh, some people that you were reading, some people you're paying attention to who were kind of, you know, um, propelling you down this way? Did, 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 did somebody say John Piper? <laughs> did you say John Piper, you son of a bitch? And now puppies are just getting mutilated. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, man. Oh my God. I'm, I'm 90% certain that no dog was being harmed in, in any of that. There was just rambunctiousness. But. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. So, so yeah, I just was curious who some of your, I guess, who, you know, generically, who, who were some of your influences? Some people that kind of went, you know, maybe started to crack this thing open a little bit and, you know, maybe let some of the light in or darkness out. I'm not sure how you look at it, but I'm just curious who you're, who, who you were looking to or reading. Yeah. Rachel Held Evans uh, was a big help to me starting mm. out her book, Faith Absolutely. Unraveled. And then the book Searching for Sunday, they, they both just had a, really profound impact on, on me because when I left the ministry, I pretty much hated church. I didn't ever want to go back. I, I was going to find another way to minister, like writing books or something like that. But her book, Searching for Sunday, just kind of helped me relax that feeling a little bit, learn to love the church again. We still don't belong to one, but I wouldn't be opposed to finding a community somewhere. Uh, it would have to be like um, your church, but uh, I don't know if we could find one like that here in South Carolina. But uh, yeah, Rachel Held Evans, Keith Giles was a big, big influence on me. Um, I actually reached out to him and he called me right back. And uh, we just had the best conversations. He introduced me to uh, Carl Forehand and Jason Elam and some guys like that. And um, But yeah, the amazing group of people there at the beginning. Great books, great people. Uh, just what I needed. Yeah, it was really cool. What I what I noticed was my reading my reading list grew exponentially because um, all those guys do a really good job of of citing their sources. And so you know, I, I'm tripping through a Brian Zahn book or I'm tripping whatever. Next thing I know, I'm Baxter Kruger and you know whatever. Yeah, I go down the list and Brad Jersak, I find him and he just you know still blow my blow my hair back. Well, what's left of it? And uh, so it was cool. I mean, it was in. I don't know if you find this too. I, you know, I live in a small West Texas town, right? So um, I can count the number of so-called progressive churches. And I hate that term because I don't like labels, but for lack of a better term, churches like mine that are a little bit more, whatever that anyway, I can count on one hand, how many of those exist. Um, we are in the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, it's, you know, conservative evangelical everywhere you go. And all of a sudden I noticed that a couple pastor friends of mine were quoting and citing and, you know, posting stuff up on Facebook from people that I knew. And I got a little bit excited. You know what I mean? It's like, Ooh, this guy just put up a meme quoting Keith Giles. So I'm like, so I'm texting him back and forth and I'm like, man, you know, Keith. And he's like, I'm like, yeah. So anyway, it, there's a, there's a little bit of like, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a shred of my tribe in this town somewhere. And we're actually bringing Keith out to San Angelo um, in November, and they're going to, those two, the two of those churches are going to join us for, uh, just a, you know, a, like a, a Sunday morning and evening conference with him. And, um, and, but I, I don't know, it, it is sometimes a little bit, I know, I know, I know, oddly enough, I know, I know how John feels, you know, because I, I grew up in the town he lives in. And you, when you say, Hey, I'd like to find a church. If I found one that was, you know, more akin to what I think church should be and how it should function. I'd go there. I, I don't have any issue with church as a concept, but in its execution, it's just been horrifying more often than not. And I know where John lives and I don't know where I'd go to church in that town. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna candy coat my issue with church. I do, I have, I have a pretty big issue with church in general. Um, I don't think I've been quiet about that. That being said, I think church done right can bring a lot of healing to a community. Church done right can bring a lot of healing to people. Unfortunately, uh, church is done wrong more often than it's done right. And that's where that's 
that's where we, that's where I and the church part ways. I, I find it funny, I mean, you know, as we're talking about authors and we're looking at different authors that, that we are, that, that, that have kind of opened our eyes to stuff, right? So you have Brad Jersack, Paul Young, Keith Giles, Baxter Kruger. But what I found interesting about all these guys is they all point us back to the early church. At some point, there's this moment where we're like, hey, there's this, there's this whole other thing that the church just doesn't talk about anymore. And it's the early church fathers, the desert fathers. And to the point where I find it really interesting, you, you bring up authors and they're using memes and quotes and all that. And I was in a church once where they put up a, a quote by, I'm going to say his name wrong because other, different people say it different ways. I think it's, is it, it's, it's origin or Oregon origin. Is that right? Origin. origin. I, I say origin, otherwise origin. it just sounds like the, the, you know, the a state. state. But they put up a quote by origin because it fits their sermon. But I'm like, yeah, but origin was a universalist. Yeah. And a heretic. Right. And but <laughs> but he's so he's so far removed, right? He's so far removed from what they think of and what they know of now that they feel it's safe to you to throw out a quote by origin. And I'm like, yeah, but if you only read more about him, you realize he's, he's kind of the antithesis of everything that you're preaching in your church right now. So do, do you find, do you find that to be true as well? That you, that you have like grabbed onto some of these church fathers now, the desert father, the des- desert fathers, the mystics, uh, have you found a connection with that part of our, of the faith? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it makes sense. To, to go back to that because, you know, these early church fathers, they were from, you know, from a time perspective, they were closer to the time Jesus walked the earth. So the, the material was still fairly fresh. People were still talking about him you know, the way they did at that time. And then through the centuries, you know, guys like John Calvin came along and, and just kind of ruined everything for us. And John Piper, cute dogs barking again. But yeah, there's, there's a lot that we can learn from these early church fathers. And I, uh, you mentioned Brad Jersak. I love his work. I'm reading one of his books now and I'm getting ready to start another one, but he kind of got me back into the early church father mode. Um, I've always been kind of a fan of church history, but had kind of let that part go in favor of all the new stuff, but they definitely have a lot to teach us, a lot to say to us. And, and we are, we're starting to listen, I think corporately, and hopefully that will just continue to grow and spread. Guys like Keith Giles are leading the way, uh, guys like yourselves, and, uh, and and it's just great. Yeah, I, I was. I don't remember who said it first, and so I just do that old preacher trick now where I claim it as my own because... But anyway, um, so I was talking to somebody about um, the term heretic, you know, and it bothers me because 99% of people who use that term couldn't define orthodoxy for you. They don't even know what heresy is. What they mean by heresy is you disagree with them. And so, you know, um, but what we're looking at, you know, for the most part, and the way that I've, you know, the way that I've structured the little church that I lead is that, you know, we, we, we've, we're going forward by going way back. You know, like the stuff I'm preaching is not new. In fact, it's, but it's so out of favor. I think it was Baxter Kruger who said something about, you know, we've, we've preached this false gospel for so long that when you preach the true gospel, it sounds like heresy. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, fo- I wholeheartedly agree. Um, what I told Brad Jersak once is I, I, I told him, I thought that orthodoxy is the new heresy. Yeah. Um, because it sounds so radical when it's um, contrasted against what we've preached in our Western conservative evangelical churches for the last whatever, 100 years, 200 years. I mean, we can't, we can put it on, we can put it on Calvin if we want to, but man, we took the ball and ran with it. Yeah. Um, and there are guys who are out Calvining Calvin every single day. Piper is Calvin on crack. Yep. You know, um, John MacArthur is Piper. Uh, Calvin would roll in his grave, I think, if he saw some of the neo-Calvinists and how far they've run with some of his concepts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's fascinating to me that and maybe maybe you had this experience as well that when I did begin to look into some of that stuff, there was such a lack of knowledge on my part, and I and I was really frustrated with myself. But I'm also then I got frustrated with the churches that I was raised up in who never talked about any of this stuff, you know. So I think I was reading Baxter's book, um, Jesus and the Undoing of Adam. And in that book, he brings up Athanasius, and I'm like, well, who is this Athanasius guy? So next thing I know, I'm. You know, I'm reading on the incarnation and I'm, you know, from that, I'm 
branching off into other, you know, Irenaeus and John Christosom and all these others. And, and it really did. It was great. It was like drinking from the fire hose. There was a whole ton of new information. Um, and, and simultaneously, I'm like irritated. <laughs> yeah. Like, why the hell have we not been talking about all of this stuff? And the Orthodox Church never stopped, you know? So that's where I lean. I lean these days towards, and I could never be part of an Orthodox church. Um, the structure and the hierarchy and the, and the, honestly, the patriarchy is still very strong there. But theologically, I resonate way more with those guys than pretty much anything that's happening in, you know, the Western version of the church. No, and you, I was just going to say, and you figure this stuff out by yourself. You don't need somebody to tell you, let's see what the church fathers had to say. You're, you're going and you're finding this stuff and you're making it applicable to today. And most people don't realize that, that they can do that too. They can think this stuff through and, and, uh, and talk about it and find, you know, find groups and whatever, build a tribe around it. But it, it's, it's, it's got to be taught and it's got to be re- revived for today's church. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I mean, I think it's especially relevant. I do see pockets of this springing up. I do take some measure of comfort when I, you know, I visited Brian Zahn's church Gosh, I guess it's been about four years ago now when I went to a conference in uh, in Kansas City, and um, it was neat. It was a neat blend of contemporary church service with a lot of other Orthodox elements, and so there was bits of liturgy in there. If you go over, if you ever get a visit Word of Life, it's it's an interesting. It's a little bit disorienting in some ways because it is all for all intents and purposes it's still the megachurch he planted forty years ago. I mean, it's a huge, huge building you know, with a coffee shop and a bookstore and all the, you know, the sort of the trappings of, of an evangelical church. But upstairs, he's built a prayer room that he calls the upper room. And then his church service is sprinkled with, you know, the kinds of things that you might find in a more liturgical church service. And so I kind of, I kind of modeled my church service after that, you know, we, we, we recite the creeds and we do bits of liturgy and we do, you know, we celebrate the Eucharist every week. And, all those things that were like, so when I was just a, you know, a young pup coming up, I'm like that's so hella Catholic. Like who can do, like who can mm-hmm. do communion every week? Gosh, man, once a month is too much. And so it, it, I do, I do see, like I said, I, I see pockets of that stuff springing up. Um, I do feel, and I know it's easy to kind of deride, you know, the current obsession with deconstruction is just a new fad, just a new fad. I don't think that's the case. You know what I mean? I do think what we're what what it is is the Definitely is a not. bit of the zeitgeist. You know, this is the the this is the groundswell undercurrent. Uh, Phyllis Tickle years and years ago in one of her books mentioned that the church goes through a a massive reformation about every five hundred years, and by my clock we're ready. And so, and I don't know if this is that or if it's just you know maybe maybe the you know the tremors before the big earthquake, but I but I do sense that undercurrent of dissatisfaction with the status quo doesn't mean that there's a ton of people. I mean, there's still plenty of people who are happy to go, you know, throw their money at Joel Osteen and buy his stupid books and, you know, buy Kenneth Hagin's blood moon books and, you know, line their pockets. But there's, there's more out there though, than I think we're aware of. Well, and I, I feel that, you know, as we, as we are as we connect with other churches and connect with other people and, you know, the internet has really been, you know, for all the people out there saying how technology is not good, it can, it's going to hurt us. It's good. The technology has given us the ability to read some of these people that I don't know if we'd ever have read, you know, I don't know if I'd read anything by Bonhoeffer or, or, uh, Henry Nowen or Croissant or, um, Thomas Merton just because, you know, I, I, pre-internet, the only place I could find anything would be in my local Christian bookstore. And I'm not sure my local Christian bookstore would, would sell anything by any of those people. You have a local Christian because, bookstore? No, we did. But I'm just saying, if, if, if that was what I had to rely on. <laughs> I think that went the way of the dodo, man. And I'm not, um, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Uh, no, it's, well, but where am I supposed to get my little tchotchkes in my you know, true. my, my gold, my gold plated crosses. True. That's, true. That's a little, but did you ever, you know, and I have to say that we, um, I wasn't really looking, so I can't say for sure, but I know that, um, in the little, in the little bookstore. So we had a, like a, it was a chain Bible bookstore here. And I tell you what, it was the usual suspects. You know what I mean? You go in the door and you're going to see books by, you know, who you expect to see them by. And they were the ones rapidly pulling Rachel Held Evans books off the shelf or, 
And I'm sure right now Beth Moore is suffering some of the backlash for this. But they were pulling Rob Bell's book off the shelf as soon as he, you know, made some audacious claim like maybe God loves everybody. And uh, and they were who I can't remember who we were talking to, John, because that was one of the things that we were discussing was the uh, was the stranglehold that corporate Christianity has over even the wide release of new books. I think it was I think it was Beth. You think it was Beth? I it might have been. I think so. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and so somebody like Beth comes along, you know, Beth Allison Barr writes this amazing book about patriarchy and the, you know, how, how we've subjugated women with the Bible all these years. There's no way Lifeway's carrying that book. Right. Even though she's top 10 USA Today nonfiction, even though she's, you know, a scholar's scholar, you know, dean of history at, you know, at, at Baylor. Oh, yeah, no, we, we'd rather have um, Joyce Meyer's new you know, whatever thing. So it, there is that weird marketplace control that's it, that exists, um, which makes me more thankful and more thankful for guys like, uh, I'm not sure who your book was published through, um, but I don't know if you, did you publish through choir? If so, then guys like Raphael who are, who are just, you know, I think doing yeoman's work, um, giving platforms to people like us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who are, you know, on the fringes, I guess, somewhat. So was it was it was it um, Keith who connected you with Ralph? Yes. So your first book was, uh, if I remember right, was self published, correct? Right. Big mistake. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Talk about the mistake. Why was just just like wouldn't do that again? It's just a lot of work. There's a lot more involved than than what I thought. Doing all the copy editing, all that stuff yourself. Yeah, pretty much. And then you got to market it yourself too, because nobody's going to help you with that. I'm terrible at marketing. Uh, especially myself, I don't like to do that. It depend on you know word of mouth or whatever. So, you know, if people want to talk about me, that's fine. Got to read my book. That's great. But yeah, it, Ralph has just been such a wonderful, wonderful blessing uh, in my life. Uh, just just with this one book. Well, that that being said, let's 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 delve a little bit into that book. And uh, so, you your second book that you wrote is called uh, "The Reconstructing of Your Mind," uh, which obviously is a play on words of your first book. So. Are you look? Um, does this book delve a little bit more into what some people are now calling the the reconstruction side of their faith? Absolutely. Um, I start off the first part of the book talks about deconstruction in more detail, uh, bring some academic flavor to it, like I know what I'm talking about. But then we dot, you know go right into the the reconstruction part, and I think that's where the, everything turns in the book is when we start talking about reconstruction. You know, by the end of the book, hopefully, uh, the, the reader feels a lot better about their reconstruction than maybe they did before. Maybe they're not afraid of it. Because I was terrified about reconstructing. I don't know about you guys, but it's like, what do I do now? I, I've, I've lost everything. I, I threw everything away. Uh, I don't have anything left. I, I turned in my credentials to the Southern Baptist Convention with a nasty letter. So, you know, just trying to figure all that out is kind of what prompted the book. How do I get from... A to B, deconstruction to a, a, at least somewhat of a reconstruction uh, in my spiritual life. And, you know, my, my heart is really just to help people who are struggling like me. Uh, I'm not anybody, um, just a guy that struggles I'm, and, and I write about it. And, you know, hopefully people will buy the book and read it. But if not, there are other great books out there that I could highly recommend. But, uh, you know, that's just what that's just what we need. We need somebody to come alongside of us and say, it's okay what you're going through. It sucks. Deconstruction is like divorce. It's lonely. It's miserable. It's frightening. Uh, and then when you get into reconstruction, there's a little bit of a hesitancy. It's like, what am I going to reconstruct into? Is it going to be biblical? Is it going to be what God wants? Is you know? And then you, once you get past that, and you start to realize that Jesus is all that matters. He is all that matters in this. And if you will just cling to Him and His teachings. And his his ways, reconstruction becomes a lot better, in my opinion. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, I can see that hesitancy. You know, I, I like that um, comparison to a divorce because um, how many people do you know who go through a divorce and then don't trust the institution of marriage anymore? Like, you know what? I don't distrust love. I don't distrust the fact that I might meet somebody that I connect with again. But man, that institution. Um, man, that kind of just wrecked it for me, you know, 
And so I, I know, you know, obviously people remarry and remarry sometimes way, 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 way too many times. But um, I have met more than my fair share of folks who were like, man, I'm, yeah, I got divorced. I, I'm not doing that again. Um, and I feel that hesitancy with, 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 with deconstruction in some sense. Um, and especially when it comes to whether or not you're going to attend a local church. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't, I have met very few people. Um, I would say almost none who at the end of their deconstruction are like, you know what, to hell with Jesus. You know, that's almost never the case. Um, I always get some sort of sentiment like, you know, no, no, me and Jesus are cool. Like I am, I'm fine with that. Um, but man, the institution of church just, I don't think it's for me. And, uh, and I get that, man. I did that. I, 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 I resonate with that on some level as well. But I do think that guys like you can potentially help reframe that conversation about what, because I think the problem with church begins to begins to be a, a problem of expectation. Um, and I had a friend, a local friend here, put something on Facebook the other day talking about how, um, you know, just pretty much ranting about the church. And what occurred to me was, was his issue was the expectation that we've placed on church to perform certain things for us. And we've advocated a lot of our responsibilities to pastors and preachers and people we've, we've given authority to. And then we get dissatisfied with the results of that. So any kind of reconstruction for me has got to begin with, okay, let's look at a more healthy view of what I even expect from church. What do I even expect from this guy that maybe stands in a pulpit and teaches? I'm not giving him any more authority. <laughs> than he's due, you know what I mean? And for too many years of my life, I just took the, I took the words from the person standing behind the pulpit as, as well, they were the authority figure. They were the ones who study this stuff. They know, um, and it turns out most often uh, they don't actually. Some of them are, are just as lost and messed up and broken. If they'd be honest about it, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But <laughs> they're too busy trying to keep up the charade of still being the experts on the subject. So, so when you, when you begin to talk about reconstruction, are you are you talking about that framework as well? Not just from a faith perspective, from but even from like the structures that that surround it. Right. Yeah. I mean, getting back into church was the least of my concerns through reconstruction. I mean, I I knew maybe it would happen, but you can get fellowship and friendship at an at, a, at an AA meeting um, as much as you can, maybe even more so. Uh, at church. And I've sat in bars where people are a heck of a lot nicer than they are in most churches that I've been a part of. And so you can, you can find a, a tribe. It's just, um, you just gotta, gotta wait, find the right one. Don't, don't rush. Um, my tribe right now is you guys, Keith, a few other people. And you guys put out some great stuff on social media, by the way. I, it greatly ministers to me. And I, I wanted to say, I appreciate that, um, uh, what you guys are doing. Uh, I've even stopped podcasting because of y'all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I cut it out. <laughs> there we go, John. Way to go. Way to go. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> no, I had to put it aside for a bit for school, but um, it. You know what? I, I'll echo what John said about social media. You know what? What John said about social media is so interesting because, um, yeah, I, Facebook can be a shit show, man. Um, it can absolutely be a. It can actually be. It can. It can be really, really damaging, but. Um, I have in-person for real friendships that I have developed through Facebook, you know, that many of us have traveled sometimes hundreds, if not thousands of miles to see each other and to meet. I've driven to freaking Michigan, you know, last year, year before to go meet David Markham and Dominic Mose and, you know, a few other people that if I didn't mention you, I'm sorry. But, you know, went to that conference in Kansas City, partly because Brian and Brad were going to be there, but also because I knew Michelle Collins would be there because I knew um, James Ramp would be. So I started going through these names of people that I that I'm like, oh, I know these people only in this cyber world and we're going to meet face to face. And let me tell you, it was it was incredible. So I, I'm super thankful for the connectivity that's that's available. So it, it, I'm with you, man. You got When John, I'll tell you this quick story, when John and he's told us parts of the story a bit over the over, over the last few months. But um, John was out of church forever and ever and ever. Had a freak accident and broke his leg pretty severely, um, which made him prime. <laughs> what, would you, what was the word I'm looking for? Um, pretty much, my 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 dad had ample time to go to go talk to him and 
John relented. And anyway, long story short, he starts sort of circling back around to this thing of maybe there's something still here for me. And he reached out to me a little later after that and was talking about this stuff and in the very you know early stages of reconsidering um, faith and says, well, I, th- I know I need to get back in church. And what did I tell you, John? Uh, I think the, the, <laughs> the, the, the let's see, hell no. Hell no. Fuck, fuck I said, no. I think I, I think I might've yelled. No, no. <laughs> and then I qualified with not, 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 I'm not saying no, no, not ever. Right. But like you just said a few seconds ago, Todd, you said, go slow, take your time. Don't rush headfirst into this thing out of some sense of obligation that you need to be in church in order to be a good Christian. Cause I knew as well as, as, and now John knows as well that all the things that drove him from the church in the first place, they were still absolutely there. Yeah. Like nothing had really changed. Uh, but John had changed. I knew John was mature enough to handle it. Um, but I was protective of that fragile faith. You know, I didn't want him to get soul crushed again by some other, you know, machine that was going to, Go back right. to telling what a piece of crap he was. And I think you, I mean, you fell in with a couple of decent, I mean, you didn't find a perfect church, but no, um, you fell in with some decent folks. And I think, yeah, I mean, as I, as I walked back or, you know, step back into some kind of semblance of faith, some kind of semblance of church, I found a church that worked for me at the moment, right? Um, it might not have been perfect, but it might've been what I needed at the moment. And, uh, and it allowed me a place where I could, uh, again, start to ask questions and find out if those questions were okay. And uh, they were okay for a while and then they became not okay. And that's when I was like, <laughs> until okay. they weren't right. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I, you know, as, as funny as that is, that that's kind of the way it works is right. It's like these questions are okay until they're not. And then that's okay. That's kind of, you know, in the past that would have been my cue to, to kind of shut my mouth. But now as I'm a little bit more mature, a little bit older, a little bit more, tenacious. Uh, that was my cue. Now that's my cue to say, okay, it's time to move on. And so, you know, I tried a couple different places and, uh, at the end of it all, I was like, yeah, I guess church and I just don't get along and that, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. You know, I, I would push back a little bit. I mean, I think I kind of agree with Nat that I'm not really sure deconstruction is the right word anymore. Uh, evolution, evolving, those that's that is kind of a better a better language for me and where I'm at because I'm I honestly I don't see this ever stopping I really don't and I think for a lot of people that's that's a that's a level of fear that they're not ready for and that's why deconstruction reconstruction kind of works for them and that's that's great and if that works for you where you have this this point where you were deconstructing and then you come to a point where you're like okay now it's time for me to reconstruct and you want to try to rebuild some semblance of faith and that's what you want to call it. Awesome. You know, run with it. That's great. But for me, and I think Nat's in the same place, I, I think this is a lifelong process. I, I honestly no longer think that there's an end to this. The, the, the two year, two years in the future, me is going to look at back at me now and say, Hey, you had it wrong on so many levels. And I hope so. I really hope that's true. I want to, I want to be able to look back and say, yeah, I had that wrong too, but I was willing to, I was willing to question it. I was willing to move through it. I was willing to push through it and find another, uh, find another answer that works for me. So yes, I, I understand the reconstructing, uh, um, idea. I'm just not sure that's, that's a language I would use anymore, but I can totally see why people need that. And I can totally see why people would hold on to that. And that's, it's important to them. And, uh, I don't want to dismiss it. I don't want to belittle it. I don't want to make them feel like, okay, because this isn't a word I would use anymore, that it no longer matters. I think it functions as long as you understand that just because you remodeled your kitchen doesn't mean you're not going to demo that some bitch again. Right. You know what I mean? Like I might, I might decide in five years that, okay, what I built in that kitchen met my needs at the time. And now I've added four kids and I've got, to, I, you know, I've, I've got some other things going on or whatever. Um, yeah, now it has to go no longer or the, you know, hell, even the style might not fit me anymore. And so I, that's why, that's, that's why I'm agreeing with you, John, that, that it's an ongoing process. I'm still fine with the language. Yeah. Because in order to, in order to build anything, something has to get torn down first. Right. Otherwise we just keep building on top of other stuff and we end up with, you know, What's that? What's that house in San Jose? The 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 Winchester, right? Is that the yeah. 
you know, where she just kept building it and building it and building it and you end up with this ginormous maze of an oddity is all it is. It doesn't serve any hallways that go nowhere, doors that open, whatever. Well, we um, have, yeah, we have a couple houses around here that we've just, we've just given them the label of a Biltmore, right? Because uh, we didn't, yeah, we didn't exactly. know what to do, so we just built more. <laughs> built more. <laughs> That's actually my house because they kept like they just kept adding crap on. Like, hey, let's just close this porch and make it a room. Let's say, but yeah. So that, that that language is useful. I think what I what I think we have to be wary of, and what we've talked about a bunch is um is anytime anytime we decide that now that language is specific to a to a movement or a cause or whatever, um, that's when that thing, in my mind, has begun to die. Once we've developed our own sort of lexicon and our own sort of vocabulary around it, you know, that's what, as you watch these things ebb and flow, these movements come and go, that, that to me is always sort of the, it's the beginning of the end. And so I don't, I'm happy to see people use the word deconstruction and then almost immediately qualify it. Say, well, you know, I, 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 you know what I mean by this? And there, there's not an expectation that we're all talking about the same thing um, just because we use a couple of the same buzzwords. You know what I mean? Right. And we did that before. Yeah. But, you know, words like evangelism and worship and this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and they, you know, I got in real trouble. Uh, I wrote an article on Pathios and I called it evangelism is no longer useful and got a lot of negative feedback on that. But what I was saying was, the sales pitch is no longer useful. You know, we got to invite people to church. We got to get them in there and, and get them saved and get them to fill out the card. That's bullshit. And we don't need that anymore. Evangelism is about sharing the good news. That's what it's about. It's not about, you know, puffing your numbers up and speaking at the, uh, you know, the convention sermon and all this other stuff. It's, it's, it's about sharing Jesus in, in the world. And right. if possible, use words. I think somebody said that, but, um, it's very important to get away from from those words and recognize that even in even in this uh, new movement, this new thing that we're doing, already some of it's getting stale, like deconstruction, reconstruction. I like the word evolution better because we are evolving, we are we are emerging. I really like that one. It's kind of gone bye bye. I hope it comes back, like Levi's. But um, yeah, whatever happened to the emerging church, man? Yeah, where'd that go? But yeah, I, I just think we need to recognize things like that. And I appreciate you all saying that because it's very true. We tend to, we tend to like what we're doing. We like our words. We like the way we do things and we can even get, be guilty of that in, in deconstruction, reconstruction. Uh, it, it doesn't have to yeah. go a certain way, but eventually people are going to start thinking, well, here's what we got to do. And my book is in no way telling you how to reconstruct. That is not what it does at all. Um, it's just, I was actually reconstructing while I wrote the book. And so a lot of it is just kind of like where I right. was at, at different times in each chapter and looking back over my life and this and that and the other. But, um, yeah, there, there's no formula for it. If there was, if there is ever a formula for reconstruction, it's over. It's done. The next thing's got to come. Yeah. What's, um, uh, David Hayward, otherwise known as the naked pastor put a cartoon out and I don't know how old it is, but he just put it on Facebook the other day and it was a guy uh, and he was holding, it says it's the map your map for reconstruction and the thing was blank. Yeah. And actually I'm, so I'm actually in talks with him right now. He's actually going to do illustrations for my book. And so um, I'm, I'm I'm really tempted to put that one in there somewhere because, you know, my introduction to the whole thing is there's, this is not a how to anyone who writes a manual on uh, 20 steps to deconstruct and reconstruct. I want to find them and like, you know, a non-violently beat the hell out of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to qualify that, but I'm not actually going to harm anybody. Okay, but I might. Um, but seriously, I mean, once we start adding, you know, once we start marketing this thing to that degree um, and offering up our, you know, hey, here's your pathway to reconstruction. Well, that's silly. Everyone's everyone's pathway is going to look different because we all have things that that, that will serve um, will serve us for a time. There's things I no longer believe anymore and movements I'm no longer a part of anymore um, that I still recognize that in the moment they were necessary. You know, the hyper grace movement for for whatever its foibles and failings was a necessary step out of conservative evangelicalism. It had to happen. In many ways, it was an overreaction, right? Did you find that? I mean, there was sometimes it was like, hey, we went, we tacked way far over here, but man, John, I, John that's kind of where John stepped back in was in the, in the, 
Um, yeah, I mean, the, I, yeah, like I, the heyday of that whole deal. I kind of jumped in the deep end of the pool when it came to the hyper grace movement because I went from, you know, as I when I left the church in a very staunch legalistic view, and then jumped right into hyper grace, and so it was a there was a learning curve to that that I just was I would, I don't know if I was prepared for, but it was quickly. So I don't know, you know, Nat would have to correct me on this one. I don't know where, where in the movement I jumped into it. I feel like it was probably kind of mid to the end. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if there was an arc to it, you were on the downward side of it. And I think one thing I would attribute that to is, I don't know, people, people began to get popular. And as those, you know, so if you start thinking about the Joseph Princes of the world and the, you know, the Andrew Womax and the, you know, these guys who are now building large platforms and selling, you know, lots and lots of books. And now they have an institution of their own to protect. Right. So when we were starting, when I was starting to deconstruct even from that, man, I found myself tossed out of so many groups. Andrew Farley summarily dismissed me for most of his stuff and all of his little lackeys jumped on me like I was, you know, Satan himself. <laughs> What's that line from Eugene Peterson that, that, that Brian told us? It's of the devil. That's what he said. <laughs> You're right, right, right. <laughs> that's, 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 that might be the favorite story anyone's ever told me about Eugene Peterson. The guy was telling him about how he's going to try and get his church numbers up and he was going to market some things differently. And he's like, what do you think about that? And he just looked at him and goes, it's of the devil. <laughs> and then walked away. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but, but, but anyway, so John comes in at the tail end of that thing. I feel like it was in its, and that's not to say that there aren't, there aren't things within that, you know, I still cling to very hard, Absolutely. Um, but I also, there are some terminology and some things that, that I, that are triggering somewhat now, you know what I mean? I find myself trying to find different ways to say the same thing because I don't want to fall into that, that same vocabulary all the time. Um, and so I don't know, it, it to me, this seems, and we've said this multiple times now, it's an ongoing process. It's going to be an ongoing process. I think the sooner we come to terms with the fact that that this will be something that we'll continue to work on and evolve through, um, then that I think that gives us permission to not have it all right. Because, you know, damn it, I won't have it all right. And I won't agree with myself in six months or a year anyway. So that's fine. It also, as a pastor, you know, it, it allows me to tell my congregation, and I do, all the time. Um, you don't have to agree with me. Hell, I might not agree with me. Sometimes I'm just asking the questions to be the guy that asks the questions. So get you guys thinking and get you, you know, give you a healthy skepticism of what you are being fed and told and, and just, uh, just apply some critical thinking skills. Don't just take it all on, you know, just because I said it don't make it true. Um, I think it's right, but hell, I could be wrong. So. One of my best friends, he used to always say that the, the answers were in the questions and you should ask more questions than try to find the definitive answers because uh, the real answers are in the questions. And that's, that's, uh, that's inspired me you know, these last few years. Yeah. I usually find, um, I'm more comfortable with the questions anyway. So oh, yeah. sometimes yeah. they just, sometimes the best you can hope for is that they lead to better questions. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. You know, questions that lead to better questions are much better than questions that lead to crappy, shitty answers. Yeah. Or just pat responses, you know, like, right. you know, God's in control. Don't worry about it. God's in control. Bullshit. He is. Yeah. And if he is, <laughs> yeah. and if he is, he sucks at it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, yeah. He's doing a piss poor job at it for sure. That's right. Uh, if I was doing his job, I'd have been fired so long ago, man. <laughs> so, all right. That's a good yeah. heretical note to end on, John. There you go. <laughs> yeah. God will let you down. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Just put that on a bumper. That's your bumper sticker for the week. God will let you down. <laughs> oh, man. That's been good, Todd, man. I appreciate yeah. it, bud. I'm, I, know it, I know it took us a while to get it together, but... I'm glad we finally connected. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. So as we as we wind down here, I just want to make sure everyone knows uh, we'll, we'll we will add links to your Amazon page for your books, uh, links to your your social media connections, and uh, all all things that will connect to Todd Vick. So. Um, just uh, know that we appreciate you. We are so glad that you're one of the voices for choir, 
one of the voices that we that we uh, that we are happy to be alongside as we venture through this thing that we call what are we calling it now? Evolution. <laughs> yeah, works for me. <laughs> yeah, I really, uh, I really was glad glad to be on here with you guys. I really, really love you guys, and you just really inspire me. Oh, thank you, man. Likewise, bud. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.